Hey there, I'm Lucas Fitz. If you know me, you know two things to be true. I love a good pair of denim, and I'm always here for the stories. When I first got into the heritage goods movement and buying intentionally, I looked to American Field as an industry leader in connecting cool brands to cool consumers. There's nothing better than hearing the story behind how a big idea grew into a business. Now, we're bringing it online and inviting you to join in the conversation, whether you're watching or listening along from wherever you call home. I'll be hosting these fireside chats, intimate, personal looks at the inner workings of some of our favorite brands on our AF network. So, sit down, grab a whiskey or coffee or beer, and ride along as we shine the spotlight on real people and real stories. This is AF Fireside. Today's episode is presented by Jamestown, a global real estate investment and management company known for transforming spaces into innovation hubs and community centers. Learn more at jamestownlp.com. Hey there, welcome back to AF Fireside. Stoked to have you back for another episode with us. Today, we are putting our jackets and hats on and going up to the Upper Peninsula. Uh, I'm stoked to have Gina Thorson, who is running the ship at Stormy Cromer with me today. How's it going, Gina? It's good. I'm glad to be here. Uh, we're so glad to have you. Are you uh, staying warm? Are you out of the clear of the winter yet? Or um, We got uh, like eight to 10 inches of snow yesterday. So winter's hanging on. Oh my God. And how frequently is that going to happen from here out now, now that we're in March? Oh, it'll, it'll, we'll get a, we'll get a big March storm and we'll likely get a big April storm. But you guys are hardy. You guys are built. I think there's a lot of similarities between those Northern Midwesterners and, and New Englanders. So I appreciate the hardiness both in, in the product and in the mindset. I agree. So let's, let's dive right in. Tell me about Stormy Cromer. How would you summarize the brand, you know, in a sentence or two? Sure. Um, so uh, Stormy Cromer as a brand is built around the original Stormy Cromer cap, which was invented about over a hundred years ago by George Cromer and his wife, Ida in Wisconsin, when they took an old wool baseball cap and, and attached an earband to it to help it stay on George's head and keep his ears warm. And um, that was uh, in 1903. And um, it is now uh, owned by my family's uh, sewing factory. And it is now a full um, apparel and accessory line, mostly focused on wool and wax, cotton and other natural materials, all designed to keep you warm and dry and happy so that you can be outdoors enjoying yourself. Cool. So you're actually not the first brand that we've spoken to that kind of exists in this. You know, there's there is the factory as a whole or the manufacturing operation as a whole. And then the brand, your private label exists as a, a kind of as a subset under the bigger umbrella. Is that correct? Yeah, it's correct. My grandpa started our sewing factory in the late 50s. And and we have mostly in the sewing factory done more industrial work. Actually, there's no other apparel that we make. So we make truck tarps and RV awnings and um playground equipment covers and things like that. And then um, we bought the Stormy Kerma brand in 2001 and it's oh, been cool. a part of the company ever since. Very cool. Whenever I see Stormy Kerma, I always think um, Holden Caulfield, Catcher in the Rye. Am I, am I off base? It is not quite a Stormy Kerma, but it's definitely okay. the same feel. So yes, okay. we do get that association. There's a few others, including Elmer Fudd, which is not exactly that either. I but I wouldn't have said that. Yeah, that, <laughs> have, that gets said a lot and it kind of... <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm ready right. for that one to go away, but, but it's in that sort of wool hat with the ear flap vein. Totally. All right. So, so then to be totally clear, I did not read that book in high school. I read the spark <laughs> notes of it. So I guess in, in the spark notes, they must've made the connection. And yeah, must've. I, I will own that. That is my fault. So, um, you know, we've spoken a couple times already before. And, and one of the takeaways I always get, uh, when I'm talking to you or, or about Stormy Cromer is, uh, 
the sense of place that the brand has that you guys are so clearly, uh, you know, created by forged by the area in which you, you come from, which is honestly a part of the country that I don't know a ton about. So I'm hoping that you might be able to paint me a picture of what exactly the upper peninsula is and what it means to you. Sure. Um, yeah. So the upper peninsula is the other half of Michigan that you, most people don't ever think about. So there's the lower peninsula, which is the, looks like a mitten and people use it, use it, you know, their hand to say, Oh, I'm from Detroit or wherever. And they use their hand. So that's the lower peninsula. The upper peninsula is across the Mackinac bridge and basically encompasses the Southern shore of Lake Superior. Um, it is rugged and beautiful and, you know, carved out by the glaciers and wild and sparsely populated um, and really kind of isolated as well. Um, you know, it takes us five and a half to six hours just to get to the Mackinac Bridge. And then if you're going to Detroit or Lansing or Grand Rapids, that's another four, five, six hours. So we're far from the rest of the state. And in Ironwood in particular, where we're based is all the way to the western end of the Upper Peninsula. We often feel a lot more a part of Wisconsin. Um, we're on central time and the rest of Michigan's on Eastern time. And there's all these things we don't, our media, um, our major media that we get, none of it's from Michigan because we're just closer to bigger cities and in Wisconsin and Minnesota even. So, um, it is this ruggedly beautiful, but also kind of isolated place. And I think that all of those things tie into, you know, why the brand didn't start in Ironwood, but why it feels like this is the right permanent home for it. In Mm -hmm. fact, when my dad bought the brand and at the time it was based in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. And um, he was speaking with the owner and the owner said, the problem with this hat is that the entire customer base is within 60 miles of where you sit. And he, so he was always selling to the UP and based in Milwaukee. And, and there's just, you know, we, we know how to build, we know what it takes to stay warm. We deal with 200 plus inches of snow a year, sub-zero temperatures. Um, and none of that stops us from doing what we need to do. And Stormy Kermer is that same way. We provide gear that's going to keep going, that's going to last a lifetime, maybe into you know the next generation's lifetime. It's going to do its job, um, whether you're out, you're a logger, you're a fisherman, you're an ice fisherman, you're hunting, all of those activities that are so just innate to the Upper Peninsula. Um, and then there's also, there's a little bit of that individuality that comes from being so far away from the rest of your state, so far away from a major metropolitan area that there is something about a Stormy Kramer cap. It's not the most common look. Um, mm-hmm. And it, it does make you stand out. In fact, when we've surveyed people, one of the things they like most about our hat is that they do feel like they stand out when they wear it. They feel unique. And I think that comes, there's, there's a piece of that to our place as well, where this is rugged individualism, where we just, we don't really care what other people say. We don't care what they think. We're going to just do what we need to do and get things done the best that we know how. I like that. I, I think I probably do okay there. Yeah, I think you would. Sounds like it'd be all right. Is there like a, like an iconic piece of media, movie or literature or TV show that takes place in the area that you're, that you're from and talking about? That's a good question. Um, so Ironwood is mentioned in, um, now you put me on the spot. One of, <laughs> um, Neil Gaiman's books. Um, dang it. I can't think of it off the top of my head, but Ironwood right. is mentioned. It'll come to you. I, I mean, It'll- Ironwood is a badass name for a town. It is. That's it's really great name. sick. That's very cool. And if it makes you feel any better, I don't really have anything distinct from where I come from other than Anthony Bourdain did an episode in the town I was born. There's a, 
there are some not they're not as positive um <laughs> references there's so okay. if you live in the up your uh sort of the nickname for someone who lives here is a youper okay um and when i was a kid that was like not necessarily a po- it wasn't a compliment it okay. was got it you know kind of along the lines of maybe redneck or you know a word like that oh, okay we wear um, that proudly so around here. <laughs> Yeah. So there's, you know, there were some different movies and uh, musicians that kind of, you know, overdid the accent, you know, that whole okay. thing. Yeah. Um, but now the word youper has changed The like the newer generations have really embraced it more like a badge of honor, okay. um, which I love. And now people cool. are really proud to to have that word and, and to embody all those things that, Very you know, cool. I, like you said, I think it's a lot of similar things to New England, but yeah. Yeah. It seems like a a very cool and you guys just don't have the density that new england has with the cities where it's like i think the biggest town here has like twenty five thousand people and that's there's a there's one of those and a few few more like that are slightly less and yeah there's a lot of trees a lot of trees and a lot of lakes and a lot of water and that's it that's crazy so speaking about coming from such a small town something else that we have in common that i as i said to you before i've rarely ever spoken to someone that has this background um you have had a healthy past career in the arts management scene, which is super cool. I did. I think that's yeah. so cool. Um, yes. I, one of the <laughs> multiple routes I took in college was arts management work for a theater company before making ties in the small business world. I think that's just so cool. And I can definitely say that if it had, had it not been for the education I've re- I had received in the arts, there's no way that I would be sitting in the chair I'm sitting in now, or even having the social confidence to be able to have this conversation. Um, tell me a little bit about how that part of the career, you know, that you had in this past life connects to where you are now. Sure. So I, um, I, I wanted to leave Ironwood when I, when I graduated, I wanted to see the world and go to a big city and do my own thing. And, and I loved the arts growing up as a kid, I was really involved in, in dance and music and theater and all of it. Um, and I ended up getting a job, um, after college, uh, my husband and I were moving to, the Dallas, Texas area. Um, and I got a job working for an amazing nonprofit. It was pretty small at the time, but that found local community artists and um, put them into programming in public schools in, in the city of Dallas. And I, you know, I started there, it was a small company, um, nonprofit. And then over time, we um, got larger and larger contracts with um, the city of Dallas. And when I left, we were providing programming to 150 elementary schools in Dallas. So it's a big job. And what I learned really quickly, um, you know, I grew up in a, in a entrepreneur's home, right? I might, we talked business at home, every dinner, every meal, every holiday. I mean, it was just business all the time. I spent time at the factory and I, I really quickly realized that, there wasn't much difference between running a good business and running a great nonprofit. Like the the business principles are the same. Um, What I learned specifically, you know, at that organization, one, I had a amazing um, woman who was the executive director um, of the organization that was a great mentor to me and taught me so much about leadership and what a strong female leader looks like. Um, And she just took me under her wing and was an amazing, amazing friend and mentor. And, but our work all centered around collaboration. And I think the arts really um, help in that area. Um, You getting a group of people together, taking the best ideas from everyone and using that to forge the path ahead. And that's what all all of our work was based on. Um, And so I think, you know, coming back, um, having that 
of that point of view and that experience, um, which sometimes in business, businesses can sometimes be not quite so collaborative, right? It can mm-hmm. sometimes be a little more top down or, or what have you. Um, so it was great to bring that back. Um, and then I just think, you know, I have a whole, you know, all the creative things, right. That come with, with the arts and just the thinking outside the box and being not afraid to try new ideas. My experience in Dallas with, with an organization that grew really fast also gets you really quickly, um, to not hang on to old ideas, right. And to always be embracing the new and, and what's totally. going to change. And that has also translated here really well as Stormy Kramer has been growing and we've had to embrace in this last year, you know, more digital technologies to, to survive and to, to make things happen. So that adaptability, flexibility, which I think, you know, is really foundational in the arts yeah. going back all the, you know, to, to my activities as a kid, you know, and through my first career have all really prepared me to, to take Stormy Kramer, you know, to where we want it to go. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I think to kind of to speak to your point there, when you think about the arts from the perspective of an artist, you know, there's a whole whole nother bag of uh, bag of tricks or skills that you need and mindsets that you have to tap into. But there's something very unique that I've, I've only seen overlap in uh, like the arts management nonprofit side with the entrepreneurial spirit of running a small business. And, and it's that whatever that extra spice that you need, it might vary from person to person, but you got to keep the doors open. That's right. <laughs> like, Absolutely. and that's something that I never experienced in, in a corporate job. Um, at the end of the day, it's, there's great comfort in being aligned in the spreadsheet. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure that that experience and that training that you had in that nonprofit world, it, it, and like you said, last year, 2020. Yeah. You had to be scrappy, right? right? Yeah. <laughs> and we had plenty of times in doubt in my past life where you had to get scrappy to, you know, some large donation that you're expecting didn't come in and you've got to figure out how to make payroll the next week. Just like you said, just like I'm sure my dad had those moments when this business was much smaller and less certain, you know, you have those scary moments. Um, so between the, between the, the growing up in the family business and then having this great nonprofit experience, um, I really came back feeling, feeling prepared. Very cool. So let's yeah. talk about coming back because that sure. probably was a whole nother experience. <laughs> First of all, it sounds like from what I've learned about Ironwood and what I perceive and know about Dallas could not be more different. No, 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 could <laughs> and not. Then, and then you opted to move back home and mm-hmm. transition into this leadership role uh, within the both the business and the community that exists around the business. Um, and sounds like you were probably coming back to a leadership role, you know, overseeing people that knew you since you were in diapers? <laughs> almost, almost. Yeah, close. <laughs> All right. Yeah. <laughs> so what, what was that experience like? Um, yeah, it's, you know, it was a little nervy, you know, at first coming home, first of all, was this the right decision? We, you know, really uprooted our lives to come back and live in a small town um, you know, I was, uh, there's a lot of people here that when I came back to the factory, remembered me as the little girl with the pigtails who used to run around, you know, that was, that was me. Um, and with my sister as well, who's here in the business. And, um, I have to say that for the most part, the, the transition with the employees here has been really easy. Um, I think there was some comfort in, in a, someone in the family, you know, another family member coming here to be a part of the next generation. Um, and I think also the fact that when I came back, I didn't take on the leadership role right away. 
I, I worked in customer service for several months when I first came back because that's where there was an immediate need and I was here and you can do this for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that I have, like my dad, I have always shown a willingness to do whatever needs to be done um, in the factory and in the business. And I've never, you know, said, no, I'm not going to, I mean, I, last year during the pandemic, I took my, uh, my turn as one of the bathroom cleaners because we were so short staffed and we were trying to do, you know, extra cleaning and, you know, we all took our turn. And so I think that there's some parts of my personality that I have clearly gotten, you know, from my dad that we are, we are roll up our sleeves kind of people and be in it with our team. Um, And I think that really helps, you know, to come back. Um, And then in the community, the larger community, it's been, it's been a blast um, to come back. Um, the one thing that I did do, uh, that was very, very intentional is that we actually don't live in Ironwood. Um, so my husband and I live about 25 miles away, actually across the border in Wisconsin. So we live in Wisconsin. Um, and, uh, and that was very intentional because when I, by the time I do finally get home on a day and maybe we go out to dinner or, or whatever, I just, I just want to go out to dinner, you know, and I, sure. you know, it's down there. I'm a, I'm, I'm like the Cromer lady. Um, mm. Whereas here in town, I'm more of like the boss lady. And so it's, sure. it's nice to have that, that little bit of distance. And, and yeah. that's been great for us. Yeah. Is your dad still involved in the business? He is. So currently our um, setup is he's our CEO um, and, and he really focuses on the non stormy Cromer parts of the business. Okay. And then um, I'm our president and really focusing on, on leading the Stormy Kramer portion. Very cool. And your sister yeah. is still involved in the brand as well? Yep, she is. She's our director of purchasing. She does a great job. Um, she's awesome. been here a long time. And um, so, yeah, we're, we've got sewing in our blood here. Yeah, it sounds like yeah. it. Yeah. And it sounds like, you know, you said earlier that dinner table discussions, I'm sure holiday discussions were all around the brand. Do you have any, any pro tips you, as I, you know, we're wrapping this series up on brands that have been handed down from generation to generation, any pro tips for people that might be listening on navigating difficult discussions between, you know, the line of family and, and business. Right. Yeah. I mean, a lot of the tips are the same as having any difficult conversation, honestly, um, our, as a company, about 20 of us went through an amazing leadership program about three or four years ago, and they've got these great just ground rules about communication. And they, they have, we were always pretty good communicating with the, in the family context, but some of these, you know, things like you just, when there's stuff under the table, right. You know, mm-hmm. things that you want to say, but you aren't saying you got to say them, you got to put them yeah. on the table and you've got to deliver your thoughts to the person they're intended for, not someone else and, and hoping that they'll get to them eventually. Um, you know, with my dad and my sister, like you said, the lines blur, right? Home business, you're talking about all of it all the time. Right. So we do try to, sometimes we have to clarify, like sometimes I've actually said to my father, are you my CEO right now or my dad? Cause I'm not sure. Yeah. <laughs> and so you have to, you know, I found just being really open with clarifying that really helps sometimes. Mm -hmm. And, you know, even my sister will come in and say, okay, I need to tell you this as, as your sister. And, you know, we're not talking about business right now. This is a, from a sister point of view, can you help me with this? And so I find that that really helps. Um, the good news is that we like each other. And I think that is a huge, (laughs) a huge, uh, advantage. And I don't, you know, not, that doesn't always happen in families, like to be totally frank. So we like each other. We're all committed to the success of the business. And 
I think with those things in mind, you know, we, we, we're just as honest as we can be with each other and, and working through challenges. Yeah. I mean, that, that's, that's some great advice, whether you're running a business or just trying to maintain those relationships. Exactly. I it's been, been a tough ride for a while. <laughs> I know exactly. it's, uh, everybody can benefit from a little, uh, a little refreshing their strategies. For sure. Um, but, but yeah, even beyond the family, I think that the community that you guys have built sounds like a factor, both of the way that you run things and, uh, you know, the, the nature of the area that you're from as a whole has created this really cool, prideful community around, around what you're doing. Uh, and something that you've said to me before that it's really struck me and, and, and stuck with me is this idea that pride translates to quality. And that's I know I've had that thought before and I've seen that thought in action before. I've just never ever actually put the words behind it. So I, I'm wondering if you can kind of bring that to light a little bit more and explain that mindset and how that relates to the brand. Sure. I, I think, you know, for our employees, for the men and women sitting at sewing machines and cutting machines and making this happen in this tiny little town in the remotest part of the Upper Peninsula, um, there is this pride that they know they're making a product that is going all over the country to some places overseas. And, and that motivates them to do better, to focus on quality, um, to do all those things. And it's when you want, we pre pandemic, we gave factory tours, quite a lot of them. And people would comment on that as they, as they took the tour, all these people, you know, your workers seem so committed. They seem, they seem so happy. They seem so focused. Um, you know, I've never gotten this feeling from a factory before. And it really is because they are so proud of what they're doing. Um, we had a woman, she's retired now, but she, for like, I don't know how long, 15 years, maybe she tied the tie on the front of the cap. And she was very proud that we did not have some machine that automatically tied a tie. It was her that did it. And she would tell a story that she was, she was somewhere out of town. She saw someone who was wearing one of her caps and the tie was not perfect. And she actually just went up to the person, took off their hat, retied the tie and gave it back to them wow. so that it could be perfect. Like we have, and we have a lot of those people who would do things like that. It also comes from, I think for us, you talk about community and that's, the people that work here, it's the place that we live, but the brand also has this amazing community of people who are so passionate about our products. Um, we had a picture on, uh, that we posted on Facebook, uh, maybe a month ago that this older gentleman had put out his stormy Cromer collection. And there were literally 40 hats, wow. like three vests stuff for his wife, all a blanket, all this stuff. And um, the, our community, community of fans inspires our workers as well. They see that these people are making this commitment to our brand, that they are passing hats on to their sons and daughters and grandsons and granddaughters that, that, um, when a new baby is born into a passionate Cromer family that, you know, the, one of the first gifts is a, is a baby Stormy Cromer for the, for the newborn. And they see these and they see people getting married and their stormy karma caps. And I think that all feeds our employees to keep up that pride, keep up that quality and really continue to make a product that's going to last forever um, for, for the folks that ultimately wear them. Yeah. Very cool. I think I've been thinking a lot lately about the disconnect between 
sometimes happens between the people that actually make the goods and the people that enjoy them and love them. Right. And usually the brand is in the center of that. The brand is the conduit between the two and, you know, less and less frequently, uh, you know, there's still so many amazing manufacturers, big or small, uh, in the country and domestic and internationally. Mm -hmm. Um, but the brands are, as I said, kind of the, the connector piece between them. And I, I wonder, wonder what would be different if everyone that was making really cool stuff got to see firsthand that satisfaction of, you know, an audience of passionate, right. you know, empowered co- consumers that, that believe in, in the process. Just right. And we try to, you know, we do have some other um, manufacturers that make stuff for us, mm-hmm. but probably... I don't know, 70, at least 75% of our manufacturing is done right here. So we don't, for most of our stuff, we don't really have a separation between brand and factory. It's sure. like one and the same, right? Yeah. Um, and that's just, yeah, that adds to that pride and that feeling of um, really being a part of something. And we do our best to, you know, most of our, a lot of our employees on the line, right? They don't have a computer or whatever. They're just, they're on, they're on their sewing machine all day, but we're always trying to, during different meetings and posting we love to share these kinds of thank yous and photos that people send in because I think it does inspire, you know, our production line workers to keep, to keep doing what they're doing. Totally. So it sounds like, uh, sounds kind of like the, the secret sauce for success here has been building this culture that whether it be consumers or, you know, the actual makers, whatever, whatever point in the spectrum you're at, you want to be a part of this community. Yes. Uh, that's, that's really cool. Really admirable if there was a bit of advice, you know, in your ex- experience and expertise that you've had so far that you could pass on to folks that are looking to create that around their brand, uh, or really as, I guess, as a part of their life, what, what would right. you, what would you tell that? For? What would you tell me? Cause I want, I want to do that. Oh man. You know, I feel like it's been so many years of little things, you know, that add up to that. Sure. Um, but you know, with our, with our employees, I think a big part of it is just, gosh, like the golden rule, right? Treating folks like the way you'd want to be treated and giving, we've always given our employees space for their lives. And if they need to leave early so they can watch their, you know, son or daughter in a play or a basketball game or something really important, then they need to go and do that, you know, and yeah. we'll, we'll make arrangements. Um, if they've got to take, if they've got a family situation, they need to take care of that. Um, we've, we've always been, try to be, you know, as good as we can with giving people that balance. You know, this isn't Bob and me and my sister KJ, you know, that we're the ones, the only ones that should be feeling this pride and passion from our customers, but it is all of them. In fact, I'm sitting here at my desk and I should show you this, you know, this, you know, Stormy, one of the things is that we feel as a company that we have this responsibility to carry on what, George and Ida Cromer started. I should mention if people are wondering that Stormy was George's nickname because he apparently had a bad temper. Um, But we feel like, you know, we've got to keep this going and and we're still connected with members of the uh, original Cromer family and they're watching what we're doing and they're super proud as well. Um, But every employee after they have kind of gone through their, you know, probationary time and figured out that they want to stick around here, they get this plaque I'm holding up on the screen, but it says, you know, has their name on it. And then it says, you are the caretaker of a legend. Um, and so everyone gets one of these to keep at their stations, even if they actually don't directly work on Stormy Cromer, they're still helping the brand because they're, 
the work they're doing and the sales that are generated from their contracts, they're helping to keep the lights on and pay the bills and do all of these things as well. Um, so, um, and the, the rest, I should read the rest of this because it says we are authentic, we are genuine, we are passionate, we are classic, we are contemporary, we are growing, we are damn good people, and we are Stormy Cromer. So everyone, you know, this is a, we try our best to make everyone, you know, feel like this. Wow. So, so the process is like you, you, you get a certain, certain amount of time under your belt and then you get a 10 pound brick smacked on your desk. No pressure. <laughs> no, I think that's a really, really cool sentiment. Um, and definitely I, I always think about, and this is, if I ever did a Ted talk, this would be what I would talk about. Just a spoiler alert that yeah. I had a, a boss once kind of explain the difference between holding someone accountable and holding someone responsible. And if you hold someone accountable, you're, you're, essentially you're holding the gun to them saying, this is the expectation that I hold you to because of my expectations. And in teaching someone responsibility, you're, you're involving them in the mission and involving them in the greater picture. And something that I've always, I think from a very, very young age, kind of, I have a hard time doing something if I don't know why. (laughs) Exactly. It's a will in college. Um, (laughs) But I think that's really cool to kind of look at that from uh, both the micro and the macro perspective of how you've kind of built this community based upon an understanding of the value, not just of the product of the entire experience. What, what does, you know, kind of ballpark, what, what is your workforce looking like these days? Like size and whatnot. Yeah. Yeah. So we have about 95 employees currently. So that's for both Stormy Cromer and our contract work. So in a, you know, a town of 5,000, we're a pretty sizable employer. That's pretty um, big. Yeah. And um, you know, we're, I don't know what our current, like, men and women mixes. We're, we're pretty, we're pretty mixed. Mm-hmm. Um, we, when I came back, I came back in 2009. I remember one of the conversations I had with my dad was feeling kind of concerned about the age of our workforce sure. and, um, and thinking like, what are we going to do when these people retire? Um, but it's, uh, as of late, I feel like we've been hiring, um, definitely a, a younger batch of people, which is great. Um, and you know, we, we, I don't know, we've probably got about 35 to 40 sewing machine operators. And then there's all the other, you know, things that have to get done to keep a factory running. But, um, um, many of our sewing machine operators did not know how to sew when they came to us. So we, we train folks here. Um, we've got kind of a different whole training program set up. We've got a couple of ladies here who are just so experienced and have been here a long time and, and are great teachers. Um, so we are, we're just willing, if someone wants to come in and try sitting in a sewing machine, we are willing to give them a try. So, um, it's a, it's a, it's a good workforce that we've got right now. Do you find yourself, uh, you know, looking at the base of people, new hires that you bring in over the course of time, are they people that are, specifically looking for like an interest in craftsmanship or skilled traits, or are they people that just happen to find themselves in that line of work? Yeah. You know, I'm not entirely sure. I do know that there's a couple of the folks that we've hired recently who very quickly are super proud to be at Stormy Cromer. Like, you know, Mm -hmm. that they knew, you know, had a feeling about the brand, you know, before they came here and and being a part of that is something that they were interested in. Um, You know, there, this whole community is very blue collar, right? Because mm-hmm. the whole, the town was built on mining. So that's the background here. Got it. Um, and then, you know, logging. Yeah. Okay. Although yeah, Ironwood okay. is a tree, but yes, iron, it was iron oh, okay. mining. Um, yeah, here. it still sits down. Sounds like a, it like does. It's, yes, it's town. very appropriate. Give, give me yeah, that. Yeah. Yep. 
So we had a lot of iron mines here and, um, and then logging of course was a very big trade here. So a lot Crazy. of people come from very like blue collar families. Um, so I think, you know, and there's, we have a plastics plant here in our industrial park and a place that makes um, semiconductors. So there is a lot of that uh, trades and manufacturing here. So yeah. um, I think folks are just, you know, to be honest, I think folks are looking for a job at a place that they can feel good about and where they're treated well and they can show up every day and feel like they're a part of something. Um, and we have been able to, to give people that. That's really cool. I think that is that little sentiment is so undervalued. I think yeah. that's really just what we all want at the end of the day. We just have different yeah. ways of, of going about it. Absolutely. Um, um, I've been rewatching this series that I probably dive back into every three or four years. It's like a very low octane discovery channel, like pre- pretty decent synopsis of American history that, that I just get into every couple of years. Mm-hmm. And I've been super fascinated this go around of kind of the, you know, the boom era and when not, not the industrial revolution, but post civil war, when like we started cooking with oil, you know, (laughs) we really started making a ton of stuff and thinking, wow, we put so much work in as a country to really accentuate this, this American dream and the unique kind of American opportunity. And we had a conversation in a, a past episode about kind of how, we maybe were spoiled in America to have to have that without knowledge of maybe what it's like in other countries where people dream of the opportunity that we have here. Mm-hmm. But now looking at it where we are now, and I look at my my social circle and kind of the the demographic of people that I surround myself with, and it seems like we have a whole lot of people that want to be bosses. Uh, you know, that your millionaire boss, right? And you don't have a lot of people that have the aspiration to be doing the hard work on, on the physical end, doing the manufacturing. Um, have you, have you, A, have you run into that? And B, have you kind of done anything to navigate around that? Yeah. I'm not sure that that's something we've really run into a ton. Um, well, that's cool. That's good. Yeah. I, I <laughs> okay. you know, I think, I think it's cultural here. I yeah. think there is, we're just very pragmatic and um, down to earth bunch of folks here. And totally. um people are, you know, looking for a a place, like I said, where they can come and feel good. And, you know, we certainly have people who want to, um, who have ambitions to do more, you know, who might start on the, as just a hourly general labor worker, but have the inkling and the desire to do more. And we love that. Like we totally embrace that Um, and have lots of our production managers, our folks who started here, entry level and worked their way up because they showed that adaptability and could see a bigger picture than just their, their step in the process. Um, so honestly, I mean, I would say sometimes I feel like we're looking, you know, we're looking for more of those kinds of people, you know, who yeah. are going to be willing, um, because, you know, we've got, we've got folks here who maybe are, we've got a bunch of folks that are semi-retired and they're working here, um, part-time, uh, because they don't want to retire, but they also don't want responsibility and you know sure. they just want to yeah. show up and do their thing and it's a and, good way to yeah. see people if you're surrounded by trees i bet <laughs> exactly so you know we've got um we've got this whole mixed bag of folks who work for us and so i think we've been able to get a good balance and we've certainly been able to give opportunity to those who have been looking for it right well and i think that kind of speaks to this greater point that you made earlier that la is great new york city is great 
Nashville is great, but it wouldn't be Stormy Cromer if it was somewhere else, literally anywhere, anywhere else. It would not. It it truly would not, both from a sort of a weather climate perspective. Yeah. We feel like, right. you know, we can test our products just fine here, you right. know. Um, but I, I do think we are not a big city brand. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but that's just not who it's our not who you are. Yeah. DNA and our culture is. And I think there's also a, I think this can be a downfall for us, but there's also a great deal of humility um, here in the, again, culturally, it's not, so we often don't even, sometimes we don't even, we, we, we do a terrible job sometimes of acknowledging our successes and celebrating sure. our successes because we're just on to the next challenge. Um, and again, I think that comes from just the whole feeling here um, in this, in this part of the world. Um, but, but we like it. And we, I think, you know, if you talk to anyone here, um, most people here, I should say that there's the advantages of small town life, you know, for those who have have chosen to be here or stay here or what have you, it's because we think the advantages of small town life outweigh the disadvantages of which, you know, don't get me wrong. There are many disadvantages, (laughs) but, um, you know, I will, I will take a place, um, where, you walk into your favorite watering hole and your drink is put on the bar um, versus someplace where you're just a, a fate, you know, a faceless, you know, in the sea of, of yeah, people. So totally. It, it has a very unique, I think you can, you can go to a city, you can, you can go to an urban area as a tourist. And if you, if you play your cards right and you use a good strategy, you could probably get a, a decent perspective of what it's like to be a local there. Yeah. Maybe I'm speaking a little bit of ignorance, but I think you can definitely get a better perspective than you can vacationing in a, you know, or traveling to a rural area. You sure. don't, you don't sure. really get it till you get it. Cause when yeah. you vacation, you're avoiding the inconvenience and part of <laughs> exactly. really loving that rural uh, lifestyle is learning to em- embrace and see the positive. God, I hear, this is my mom's voice coming out of me right now and hear the positives. Right? <laughs> my mom like yes. went to a, a one room schoolhouse in the Berkshires as a sure. kid. So, sure. so yeah, we're like, you know, we had a, I, I, as I said, live up in the woods and uh, our first power outage when we moved up here uh, found out the hard way that the toilets don't work when the power goes out because the water is attached to a well pipe. But I'm sure you do right, 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 like right. this all the time. Just right. like, yeah, you don't, you don't deal with that on a, you know, fifth floor. No. And when you have to, um, you know, we're limited as to, you know, the retail options here in in our town and you might have to drive an hour or two and you do that once a month or every two months and you stock up on stuff and you, you know, you just can't run somewhere sometimes for those things you need. You've got to really plan for things. So, but yeah, wouldn't change it. That's right. They all have all have their their pros and cons. It just depends kind of how, how you spin it. Um, but yeah, kind of going back to the the brand identity being, you know, so clearly time and place to where to where the brand exists. Um, I th- I think a reality that we can look at, regardless of you know the culture of the specific area, we have we have created a kind of economy of employment in our country where there just aren't enough. Silicon Valley type jobs as there are people who have paid a ton of money for a degree that in theory makes them eligible for that kind of a job. Right. And the other hand of that, which I'm sure affects you in some way, shape or form is that uh, the training that used to be available for skilled trades 
just doesn't exist anymore. Doesn't exist in the same capacity. Right. Um, what do you guys do internally to kind of combat that? Right. And there are, there's very few, even fewer uh, programs out there that train people to sew, right? Yeah. Like that is, yeah. you can go to, you can get a, you can go to a two-year school for welding and, you know, the right. we're not, building we're trades. We're not talking electricians right. no. and plumbers. We're talking so, about specific. Yeah. Exactly. And so that's really why we've just sort of built our own um, program and, and capacities to do that training. Um, so we've got a, a separate space that's off the factory floor that's set up for our new oh, sewers cool. because it can be, it can be intimidating out on the floor because some of those men and women, they are fast at what they do. I'm sure. Um, and uh, so you, we don't want that pressure and we don't want speed to be the first thing they learn, right? They need to learn sure. quality needs to come first. Mm-hmm. We talk about in our, our core values as a company, quality is one of them and speed is not like yeah. for a reason, for right? Sure. So we start folks um, in a, in this separate space. We've got uh, two women that are, like I said, are sewing engineers and, and trainers, and they do a great job. What's what's really wonderful about the fact that we have both the brand here and this other contract work is that much of that other contract work is really simple sewing. It's sure. just like straight line hemming a big tarp. Yeah. So we've got these different levels of skill so that we can start someone on the simpler things. We do have a few steps even in the serving Kramer line that are automated. So we can start someone on an automated machine just so they can get the feel of sitting at a machine and, you know, pushing the buttons and the pedal and, and all of that, and then work them up to the more complex tasks. We also, um, all of our sewing machine operators are sort of rated um, on a skill level. So we have three sewing levels. And in the, that's based on how versatile they are, you know, can they be both fast and quality, right? That's the mm-hmm. ultimate goal. And, and then, yeah, can they do the most, can they put together our flagship um, wool coat? Like, do they have the skill to do that? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and all those places in between and, and their, and then their pay is, you know, uh, accordingly to those skill levels. And that also gives folks, um, they can kind of see a path. Like I'm going to start at at this level. What do I need to do to get to this next level? And we can help them, you know, visualize what it's going to take. I think, you know, to one of your earlier questions, a lot of times what people need is just to see there's a path. It's not necessarily that they want to be a millionaire tomorrow. They just want to know what's, where's the next place I can go. And then after that, where's the next place I can go and what does it look like? So that's why we've tried to envision, you know, you know, this level means you can do these kinds of things and that you are 80% efficient when you do them and you have, you know, a 1%, you know, quality problem rate. So, um, we just do, we do that whole training process. Um, we, um, and our, and then our sewing machine, our sewing engineers are constantly walking through the factory and we do random sort of timings of people. So we can see when someone's struggling, you know, then they might get some extra help, even if they've been on the line for a while, how can we help you do this better? How can we help you get a little bit faster? How can we help you eliminate this one quality problem that you seem to have sort of consistently? Um, so it's just a matter of working with folks, um, really one-on-one and, and sometimes we have to work to find the particular step that their hands and their brain, you know, can do at the, at the right pace. We have, uh, we have a woman who is, I think she's 72. She shows up here every day. She loves it here. Uh, and she does one step on the hat and she is like, over, you know, 110% efficient, right. Faster than even our standard is, but that's what she does. She doesn't do anything else. And you know, when you put her on something else, it's just not as good. So a lot of it is also 
finding the right fit for folks and finding sure, a place sure. that they feel comfortable. Sure. Yeah. And that's, uh, that's really cool that you have a handle on that. Um, coming from a, from a, from a corporate background where people don't always understand that education is not one size fits all. Right. And I'm sure you had experience in the nonprofit sector Absolutely. <laughs> with that yes. as well. You yes. got to kind of figure out uh, what, what you need and, and how to get it with the tools that you have and the, the hands or ears or, you know, brains that are willing to go along with you. Right. It's, and it's two way, right? I mean, you've got to hear from the person that's learning yeah. too. And if they're really struggling with something, maybe that's just not the right thing for them, yeah. you know, or there's a different way to do it or a different um, perspective to give them. So absolutely. Totally. Cool. Well, we're running a little bit close to the clock here. So I'm going to, I'm going to wrap up the, with this one concept that actually is kind of a pretty big concept, but I'm pretty excited to talk about. <laughs> but in wrapping up this series, as I said, you know, talking to brands that have survived for generations, I, I will go out on a limb and say that my takeaway from now the five different brands that we've spoken to, the similarity in terms of these brands that have lasted a very long time is having a very, very clear understanding of who you are. And I think it, it makes even more sense to now to look at look in the through the through the viewpoint of maybe brands newer brands that I've known in the last couple of years that didn't make it or trailed off or mm-hmm. didn't figure it out and maybe they just never really figured out exactly who they are and and you guys definitely know exactly what Stormy Cromer is um, I think the way that you sum it up on the plaque and the way that you address that to anyone that joins us to your family um, is is really unique and really cool and one of the things that you've told me about before that really makes you guys who you are is this phrase that I'm going to let you explain. Do you know what I'm talking about? I do. I do. Please so and I'll, I'll give you the cultural context as well. So there's a quite a large, the upper peninsula has one of the largest Finnish populations in the United States. And so that's where our accent comes from and, and several other traditions that we have here. And there's a Finnish word that's called Sisu and it's spelled S-I-S-U Um, And it doesn't have a actual direct translation into English, but it means, you know, essentially the grit and the persistence and the determination to achieve something, even when the odds are stacked against you. Right. Mm -hmm. So it's become sort of the mantra of the of the entire Upper Peninsula. But I I do think that it it in particular fits um, our brand as well. Um, you know, that we're determined to really become a national brand based out of this little tiny town in a place on the United States map that most people couldn't find. And that, you know, we're, we're just, we're this, you know, family who's working really hard to grow this brand and we don't have investors and all these other, you know, advantages that some other companies might have. And that we're just hardworking people who always show up at work, no matter how much snow you got, you know, the night before, like we just do what we have to do. We put our heads down, we do it. We don't complain, you know, all of those things. Um, and I think it's, it's that whole, it's, it's a big part of our success because our people act that way. And then it, our brand, it's a no frills brand. We're not, we're not chasing trends. We're not trying to be someone we're not, we're not, getting into technical fabrics because that's not who we are. We're just, we're sticking with classic designs, um, classic natural materials that the brand's been using for a hundred plus years. And, and that's just who we are. And um, I think all of that, you know, aligns with the Sisu concept really well. You know, I, I have to say 
uh, in hearing that explanation and now going back to the earlier question of, you know, what's the iconic piece of media, movie or music or, or art that came out of your area? Is it you? Is it Stormy Cromer? I thought of that book name. I thought of that book name, actually. Well, what, what's the book name? <laughs> American Gods. He actually, re- he references Ironwood in American Gods oh, okay. in that book. So anyway. Got it, got it, got it. Tiny bit of But but yes, Stormy Cromer. Maybe, maybe it's Stormy Cromer. It's it's certainly. We have been called the you know like the official unofficial hat of the up of Michigan. So okay. you know, or of the Upper Peninsula. So sounds pretty official. Something like that. Sounds pretty official. Yeah, to me. I, I, we're, <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna call it we're gonna call it here first. Uh, so cool, go. Gina. Where's the best place for people that are listening or watching along uh, that want to learn more about the brand? Where can they keep in touch? Um, so our website is stormycromer.com, um, which you can find lots of information there. And then we're, um, we're pretty active both on Facebook and on Instagram and, uh, stormy Cromer on Facebook, stormy Cromer official on Instagram. See, it's official. That's, that's what we're saying. Right? Uh, we had a, someone was kind of using our name. So we had uh, the official uh, version. nothing like a, nothing like an imposter to make you feel <laughs> legitimate. Right. Cool. Right. Well, Gina, thank you so much for your time. I'm so glad we get to have this conversation and look forward to connecting again in the future not sure if it'll be in in ironwood do you guys we'd love to have you you're you have an open invitation Lucas. love it it would be probably for a couple months and i may have just committed a crime if i show up there (laughs) (laughs) but uh but you guys are are my official runaway spot for sure keep it nice what's been great talking with you yeah it's been awesome thanks we'll talk again soon i'm lucas fitz and this is af fireside To learn more about all the brands featured on the podcast, check out fireside.shopaf.co. And don't forget to subscribe to us on your streaming platform of choice. Thanks for listening. Today's episode is presented by Jamestown, a global real estate investment and management company known for transforming spaces into innovation hubs and community centers. Learn more at jamestownlp.com.